passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. If you're a visitor, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors, and it is just really good to have you. In addition to today being Father's Day, which is very cool, um, today is also a day we start a new series. The series we start today is called, What Does the Bible Say? And we're going to look at what the Bible says in a variety of different topics. And today, we're going to look at what the Bible says about temptation. Now, obviously, that's a topic that none of you can relate to. I think all of us can relate to temptation. I mean, especially when we have the internet nowadays, we have our cell phones, we have pop-up ads. Temptation is hitting us left and right all day long. And we know what happens when we give in to temptation. We're filled with self-hatred, we're filled with shame, we're filled with remorse, and we're constantly in this battle with temptation. In fact, I think I really resonate with what Paul writes in Romans chapter 7 that I put on the top of your outline here. You know, for, why do, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Anybody can resonate with that one? Yes, that's what we, amen, exactly. We go through that one all day long. So I was really excited to teach about temptation. And in my prep for the message, I'm really studying temptation. And I realized, man, the Bible has a lot to say about temptation. And I'm starting to write an entire series. And I'm like, I can't give you an entire series. I have one Sunday. So I'm like, how do I do this? How do I limit down what I want to say when the Bible has so many good and practical things to say? So here's what I decided to do. I think I decided to make the message all about just one verse. And we'll just build off of one verse. Now this verse is really special to me. Because the verse we're going to build the message off of is something I memorized probably around in sixth grade. And it's a verse that I have quoted to myself in my personal battles with temptation and my battles with sin thousands, tens of thousands of times, constantly bringing this verse from God's word back to mind to tell me the truth and remind me of the truth when Satan is trying to deceive me with his lies. In fact, that's what we should do when we are struggling with temptation. One of the best things we can do is have scripture that is relevant to the temptation that we face, memorized, committed to our heart, and when Satan tempts us, we need to bring that memorized scripture back to mind, defeat his lies, which, are, which is God's, with God's word that is the truth. Incidentally, this is the same thing Jesus did when he was in the wilderness for 40 days, remember that? And Satan was tempting him. And every time Satan would have a temptation, what would Jesus do? Respond with the truth of scripture. So if you have not memorized scripture before, or at least brief sound bites of truth, that's your homework. And if you have not memorized the verse we're gonna look at this morning, that is the one you want to begin with. The verse we are going to look at today is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 
Many of you have this one memorized, and if you don't, that is your homework assignment. Commit it to memory. Let's read it. Have it on the top of your outlines. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So as a Christian, we need to know we have these promises from God, this promise from God, that there is no temptation take that is going to be presented to you that is, that is so powerful that you must sin. God promises you will always have the ability to say no. He promises that he will limit the strength of the temptation so it is not more than you are possibly able to bear. And he also promises that there is a way of escape when we face those temptations. Now what I'm going to do is we're going to take this verse apart and we're going to look at under four points. Now the first point we look at, I'll just tell you, is going to be much longer than the other points. Maybe too long, I'll just admit that, but it's so important. We're going to unpack and bring other pieces of information in on the first point as we begin to unpack this text. So here we go. Number one, realize temptation wants to overtake my life. Isn't that the way it begins? No temptation has overtaken you. By nature, temptation wants to overtake us. It wants to dominate us. Whenever we experience temptation, it is not a friend. It wants to do to you what Russia has done to the Ukraine. It wants to dominate you, destroy you, and over, overtake you. But here is where this gets very complicated. But actually, we'll make it pretty simple, so don't worry. If we only think of temptation from a negative side, and that it only is there, and the only thing it possibly can do in our life is destroy us, we are actually only having half of the picture. To properly understand what temptation is and how God can use it in our life for actually for good, not for destruction, we need to understand that temptation, when we face it, doesn't always necessarily mean a negative thing, it can be used by God in a positive way. In fact, temptation in the English language didn't become an all-exclusively negative term until the 17th century. Prior to that, it had a negative and a positive side. Now, to explain this, let's, let me go back to the, the Greek language. In Greek, uh, temptation, as we would look at it, had both a negative and a positive side to it. And so I'll try and explain it to you. The most common Greek word for temptation is the Greek word perosmos. It, can, it is sometimes translated into English as a temptation intended to make us sin. But also in your English Bible, it is sometimes translated as a test or a trial. So a test or a trial that we face, and then we can pass it successfully, that's the positive side of the coin. 
but it can also go inside of us and be used negatively and become a temptation to sin. That's the negative side of the coin. So if we go through a test or a trial and we pass it and we do well, that's the positive side of the difficulties we face. But if we actually use that test or that trial and it, we internalize it, it becomes a temptation that leads us into sin, that's the negative side that, we, that things can go. So if you're looking at your outlines here, this is the first bullet point. The Greek word for temptation can mean a test or a trial in life, or it can mean a temptation in life. It depends on how this whole thing is handled. Maybe the easiest way to explain it is with an example. Say you're hired at one of our local banks and you are working there. And in your first week, your boss asks you to stay late and close up the bank. You go to close up the bank and before you leave, you notice all of a sudden this large pile of money that is on your desk. You're like, what am I going to do with that? Like it's not wrapped, it's just loose change. You're like, I, I could really use that. <laughs> Maybe I could take a few dollars of that. <laughs> but you decide I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna put it all on my desk. First thing in the morning, I'm gonna go to my boss and tell him, hey, I was gonna leave, I'm walking up and there's a pile of money on my desk and here is all of it, I'm giving it back to you. And as soon as you say that, the boss says, congratulations, you passed the test. I put the money there. It was a test. You passed it. Now I know that you're an employee that I can trust. And his trust in you was actually built up. Or it could have gone the other way. When he counted the money, he found that $200 was missing. And all of a sudden, he knew it was a temptation you gave into. And he cannot trust you. You see how it can go either way? on this one, it depends on how we handled it. So we go through a difficult time in life like that, it's a test. Passing the test can be a good thing. It builds up some confidence, or it can be a bad thing, it can turn into a temptation. Now in the Bible, we see very similar situations. God will sometimes put people through tests test that he intends to prove their faith or an opportunity for them to demonstrate their faith. For instance, we can see, this is the next bullet point. God brings tests or trials to reveal my faith. We see this Genesis 22.1. After these things, God, what did he do? Tested Abraham. Will you sacrifice your son like I tell you to do? Or will you obey me or will you disobey me? It's an opportunity for Abraham to prove his faith, demonstrate it. Or 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Same Greek word here. As though something strange were happening to you. So God allows tests, he allows trials in our lives and he has them there as opportunities to demonstrate our faith, to prove our faith. And Peter says, as, this, as if this was a strange thing. This is a normal thing. 
But the other thing he does with these tests and trials we face is he uses them actually to mature our faith. So God brings tests and trials to mature us. Here's two scripture verses that talk about this. Psalm 119.67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. God used that hard time to mature me. Psalm 119.71. It's good that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. In the hard times, I really got myself back in the text. And I really turned to God's word in ways I had never done before. I guess those trials were a good thing. They helped prove my faith and they helped mature my faith. But Satan wants to take those very same tests and trials that God intends for a good purpose in our life. He wants us to internalize those and he wants us to to have those things turn into temptations to sin in our life that would actually erode our faith. So here is the interesting thing as we get into the subject. When we look at our English Bibles, you'll sometimes see the Greek word perosmos. Sometimes it's translated as the word temptation, which we know is negative. But the very same word is translated in our English Bibles as a test or a trial, which is intended by God to be positive. It all depends on how we handle these things. They can build our faith or they can erode our faith. Now, let me give you another example. What kind of trials may God send our way that can either build us up, but Satan wants to intend for them to tear us down? Let's just use an example of finances. Anybody notice the price of the pump going up again? Yeah, you know, I get an amen on that one. Anyone notice the price of everything in the grocery store going up again? What's one thing that's not going up? Our paycheck. All right, exactly. So uh, God is allowing us to experience at this time, many of us are beginning to experience financial trials, financial tests. It's time where all of a sudden you have to cut back a little bit more. You've got to start to pray a little harder. God, hey, I, I'm going to trust you to provide for my needs because you know what our family needs to survive. So these are tests that ultimately God wants to use to prove our faith, aren't they? And to improve our faith, to sink ourselves deeper into relying on him, right? But what does Satan want to do at that time? Well, I don't have enough money, so maybe I'm going to stop giving. I don't have enough money, so maybe I'm going to pad my expense reports, get a little extra cash from the office. I don't have enough money, so as I'm reporting my taxes, maybe I'm not going to report all of my taxes. You see how all of a sudden the thing that God actually intended for good, Satan wants to tempt us away to use it for evil, to pull us down in a negative direction. Now, a great passage that we can look at for this Greek word perosmos, so we can see it used in a positive way and in a negative way, is James chapter 1. Maybe some of you have been familiar with this. We preached on this a number of years ago. Probably have to go back and re-preach the book of James. It's really good. But I'm, I underlined this Greek word being translated in two different ways. First, we'll look at it translated in the positive way. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James says, when we face these trials in life, consider them joyful. Because God will use these difficult times that we face as a way to improve us, as a way to mature us, as we're forced to rely more deeply and more fully on our Savior. Now, I'll give you an example. Maybe you're a new parent. And as a new parent, you're staying up late because you have that little baby that all of a sudden you're finding yourself, I'm really taxed. I'm really tired. I'm really exhausted. And what do you end up doing in those times? Praying more. God, I need your strength. God, help me to have more patience. God, help me to be able to persevere. And God is using that trial of that newborn to refine you and to mature you and ultimately to make you more like Jesus. See how it's a good thing? Trials, they're not necessarily always a, a bad thing. Now, like you, I don't like trials. I am not asking for more trials in life. But I do know this, that if God sends trials and difficulties into my life, he has a good purpose in them. The good purpose is for me to have an opportunity to prove and demonstrate my faith and for me to mature in my faith. And he will do that as I rely on him in those trials. But a very few verses later, in that same chapter of James, that same Greek word perosmos is translated again, but now it's flipped on the negative side how those trials can turn into temptations. And look what James says. But let no one say when he is tempted, same word here, that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So instead of uh, trusting in God in a trial or a test, in a hard time, Sometimes those things can actually turn into temptations. Temptations that lead us into sin. Here's an example. Say you're self-employed. I'm self-employed. You have this quarterly tax payment you have to pay. You guys know what I'm talking about? Quarterly tax payments? Okay. Say you get to the end of the year. You've paid your quarterly tax payment. You go to do your taxes at the IRS, and for some reason you discover the IRS has no record of receiving one of your quarterly tax payments, even though you've paid it. Well, you know in one sense that can get straightened out, but you know what an incredible headache that is going to be to work with the IRS to get it straightened out and you're frustrated, and you're angry, and so you call the IRS on the phone, and you get the lady on the line, and you want to give her a piece of your mind. That trial that God intended as an opportunity to prove and demonstrate your faith and to mature you can quickly turn into a temptation to sin, a temptation to erode your faith. You see how that can flip all so quickly? 
Now, while God may allow trials into our life, James continues and says, by the way, he is not the source of temptation in our life. James chapter 1, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. This is very important to help us understand how temptation works. Difficult time comes, God allows it, it's the trial to build us up, demonstrate our faith, but inside we start to wrestle with it, this is painful, this is difficult, and all of a sudden we're finding ourselves tempted into sin. And James says it works this way, we find ourselves lured and enticed. Do we have any fishermen here? couple fishermen, okay, now you guys maybe want to correct me if I get some of this wrong, but this word lured and enticed is a fishing term in the Greek. What it talks about is when you put a worm on the end of the hook and you put it in the water and the fish sees it, the fish shows there's a worm, there's a hook, there's a string, there's a fisherman. You think I'm that dumb to actually bite that thing? But then what does the fisherman do? starts to jig it up and down, and he sort of dangles that worm in front of the fish. And the longer that fish looks at the bait, he slowly talks himself into biting the hook. And James says that's exactly the way temptation to sin works. The longer we look at it, the longer we internalize it, the more we taste it in our mind and imagine it in our head. We may have started out saying, I'm not giving into that temptation because look at the hook. But we talk ourselves into biting, taking the bait into biting the hook. Isn't this exactly what happens? How many times do people who end up having an affair start out with the intent of having an affair? They never do. They say, well, I would never do that thing. But they start to think about it. They start to sample it in their mind. They start to roll it around. And the longer they do that, they're like the fish. They slowly talk themselves into biting the hook. This brings us to something that's very important. The key to beating temptation when it's gone from the trial and difficulty on the outside of our life and now it's being used like temptation on the inside of our life. The key to beating those temptations at that point is what we do with our minds. It's what we allow ourselves to think about when we face difficult and trying or seductive circumstances, especially with the key to sexual temptations and beating them is to turn away from them immediately, not allow ourselves to think about them, not allow ourselves to chew on them and be further enticed to them because we'll eventually bite them. We'll eventually talk ourselves into the temptation. So, this is very important to understand. I have this in your outline. A uh, trial is a hard time on the outside of my life that God intends to build my faith. 
but it can turn into a temptation when the trial gets inside of my heart and I allow it to pull me away from Jesus. So temptation begins in our mind, in our imagination. It's what we allow our minds to chew on and think about. So to beat temptation, I have this in your outline, I must guard my mind and what I allow myself to think about. This is why we have to be so careful with our media. Folks, movies out there, the YouTube out there, the internet out there, you know what it is filled with. It is filled with murder, it is filled with sex, it is filled with seduction, it is filled with greed. If we allow our mind to be feeding on those things, when we hit the trials and difficulties of life, our mind is pre-programmed to react in the ways that we have imagined. And we readily give in to, the trials quickly become temptations and we give in to sin. Now let me give you an example of this. Many of you know the name Salvador Ramos. That's the guy, the young kid, who shot up all those teachers, the teachers and the children in Uvalde schools. Remember that? The immediate reaction of people was, we need more gun control laws. Take away the guns. Well, I'm not going to get into that debate, but I will say this. I think what you need to take away is violent video games. There's a New York Post article that talks about the fact that Salvador Ramos, like many other young school shooters, was a regular addict and player of violent video games. His favorite one is called Dead Before Dawn. The internet site describes it as a, if I can get this right, uh, violent... What, is we, what do we call it here? I'll just have to do it. Uh, here it is. Survival horror action game. When you're a kid playing a survival horror action game that is a simulation of mass murdering a whole bunch of people, you cannot sit there and say, well, it's just a game. It may be just a game. But now they have records of after one of those games on that chat forum the kids get on, he talked about, I'm actually going to do this in real life. And then he eventually did. What he role-played in his mind became what he real-played in his life. If we are going to be facing trials and tests, which we all will, sometimes things that are seductive to us, it's a test. If we're going to keep those from turning into temptations, it's so important that we guard our mind and we don't feed our mind with all kinds of things that are unwholesome, that are sick, that are seductive, because what we pre-program our mind with will become the way where we act in those situations. Now, I didn't have a chance to look this all up, but some of you who are in the military probably know this better than I do. Even in our military, I believe, that when they're training troops for exercises, they actually do the whole thing in a simulator, a large video game, to prepare them for the actual physical mission. And if Salvador Ramos hadn't been doing a simulator of a mass murderer 
a whole bunch of kids and teachers, maybe he would not have been so readily <laughs> likely to carry it out. Now, what does Paul say about this? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and here's the key point, and take every thought captive to obey Jesus. The way to avoid temptation is every single thought, we should say, Jesus, are you pleased with this? Jesus, would you want me thinking this? I want every thought that crosses my mind to please you completely and fully. And then we go through the trials. We go through those temptations in life that really come to us and we can handle them positively. Most likely we'll handle them positively. We'll endure them well. They'll demonstrate our faith. They'll build our faith. But if our thoughts are not captive, if we allow our thoughts to go in all kinds of negative directions or fill our thoughts with negative things, when we hit those trials, we'll turn them into temptations to sin and step into sin. Let me get real practical with you guys. Very down-to-earth practical on this one. Have you ever had, and don't raise your hand, I'm not asking you to do that, this is a rhetorical question. Have you ever had somebody really hurt you deeply? Hurt you? Hurt your wife? Hurt your family? If it hasn't happened to you yet, chances are it will happen to you. That's happened to, to us, my wife and I very deeply hurt. And you know what it's like when you're trying to go to sleep at night and you've had those wounds and those attacks and evil things said about you. And in your mind, as you're trying to go to sleep, it's going a million miles an hour. And you're thinking about all those things you'd like to say to that person. And then you're starting to think of all those things you like to do. Wait a minute. That's danger. Every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Because if you role play in your mind all night what you want to say to that person, guess what's going to happen when you finally get around that person? You're actually going to do it. And what you've role played in your head is probably not something you ever want to dare actually do in your life. See how temptation works? Maybe the thing to say is maybe God's allowed that person to hurt you and to, to hurt your family, maybe because this is an opportunity to actually live my faith, to demonstrate my faith and to pray for them and to love on them. Maybe this is an opportunity to mature me. God has allowed this for a reason, to build us up. But Satan wants to take it and turn it into temptation to sin, to tear me down. I don't want to go there. It all matters what you do with your mind. Now, what does Paul say about our mind? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul says, whatever you put in your mind, May it be good and honorable and true. Because remember, what you feed your mind with will help determine how you respond in the difficulties of life. That changes that what you look at on YouTube. That changes the kind of music you listen to as a teenager. Is it teaching you about Christ and building you up? 
or is it worldly and tearing you down? Every single thing we feed in our mind should be good. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. In the midst of the difficult times of life, do you want to have peace? Fix your thoughts on Jesus Christ and how God loves you and how Jesus has died for you and his good plans for you and that even in the difficulties that you are facing today, right now, God's plans are to use those to mature you, to improve you, and to make you more like Jesus. None of it is out of control. Fix your thoughts on that. And we'll handle the difficulties and trials and tests our way well. But if we feed our mind on trash, if we allow our lives to mind to fantasize in the wrong direction in the sinful way, we'll turn those same things into temptation to sin. So, I told you that first point was long, but hopefully it was important. Now, let me move to the other ones, which go much quicker. Number two, God promises, by the way, that I'm not alone in my temptations. No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man. Temptation, by the way, is a common thing. It's a human thing. Everybody goes through it. Satan wants you to think that when you are tempted with a situation, that you are the only one who has experienced it. And if he can get you thinking that you're all alone, chances are you'll give into it. And here's what we need to know. The very same temptations that we face on a daily basis have been faced by other Christians, and they successfully said no to sin. If they've done it, you can do it. And if you don't know that, chances are you'll give in to those things. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Some of you guys know this, but I'm a little competitive. I'm really competitive when it comes to sports. So this is why when I go to like exercise, I do not like exercising alone because I don't push myself that hard. I like to be around people that are stronger than me, that are faster than me, that are better than me, because I will always say, if you can do that, I can do it too. So I challenge myself and I push myself because I'm competitive. And by the way, I use this in all different kinds of ways. I even try to use that competitive nature to get over my fears, because I have some, like some really big ones. Like one that you probably don't know about is I am terribly afraid of heights and I do not like roller coasters. Like, when I was a youth pastor, the absolute worst thing, day of my year was when we had to go to Ohio to Cedar Point Amusement Park. They have big roller coasters, and the kids thought it was great. Get Kurt in the front of the roller coaster. And I'm like, gonna die. I literally, I mean, I mean hate with the H, capital H word. Did not like it whatsoever. But here's how I got through it. I'm like, okay, there's been a thousand people who have gone on this roller coaster today who have not died. If they can do it, like, I can do it too. Because I don't want to say a thousand people could do better than me on that. But isn't this the same thing that Paul is saying when it comes to temptation? Know that no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. 
other people have been tempted in the very same way. They have successfully said no. They have passed the temptation. You can do it as well. And be encouraged. Be encouraged. So I have this in your outline. Temptation wants me to feel like I am alone. Knowing others are facing the same temptations and successfully turning away from them should encourage me in my battle against temptation. Number three, God limits the temptations I face. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond, he says, what you are able. Super important. God knows you. He knows your strength. He knows how you're wired. And he will only let hit you a temptation that he has successfully equipped you to, equipped you to say no to with your strength and the strength of his Holy Spirit within you. He never will allow you to face a temptation that is more than you can handle and say no to. An example of this comes from the book of Job. Remember in the book of Job, what happened where Satan actually had to go to God before he ruined Job's life and ask permission? And that even when he went to ruin Job's life, those limitations were limited by what God allowed to happen. We see this. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out of the presence of the Lord. Well, isn't it good to know that when we face a trial, when we face a test, when the world gets difficult, that if that is coming from Satan, he had to ask permission from God to be able to do it for you, tempt you that way. And God set up limits about how much you can possibly face. I'll show you another example of that. It comes from John chapter 18. It's the, the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the arrest scene. Jesus is going to get arrested. And, um, you know, the soldiers come out and they say, who are you looking for? They say, we're looking for Jesus. He says, that's me. And so let these people go. And look how it unfolds here. So we ask them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. And then John throws this in. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. That apparently, in that time, if the disciples had also been arrested, the implication is it would have been too strong of a temptation that would have overwhelmed their faith. So Jesus protected them and limited the temptation and trial that they faced in that moment. Now, some of you will say, okay, I understand what the Word of God says, that God limits the temptations and trials that we face that are not more than we can bear. But pastor, I want to be honest. I don't think that's really true. I can tell you times that you say, well, I've faced temptation that is just way too strong. Temptation that I actually had to give in to. And I want to talk to you about how that happens. When the temptation comes our way and we're presented with it, at that time, it's under God's limitation. It's under God's protection. It is not more than you can handle. But remember what James said 
that we can do with the temptation? Remember the fish? The fish can choose to stare at the temptation, think about the temptation, mentally sample the temptation, and slowly lure himself into biting the hook. Can't we do that too? When we sample the temptation, imagine the temptation, and continually talk ourselves into the temptation, it can become more than we can bear. Now, when God allowed it to hit us, it was not more than we can bear. But then we chose to entice ourselves with it to eventually make it something that is more than we can bear. Think of it this way. Maybe you're somebody who struggles with drinking. And you said, okay, I'm, I'm done with beer. I'm done with alcohol. But then you go over and you hang out with your buddies. And your buddy says, hey, would you like something, a beer? And you're like, no, no thanks. You can turn away from it. It's not more than you can bear. But then he says, hey, we're going down to the bar after the ball game. And you can choose to stay there till 3 a.m. with the rest of your buddies. And somewhere during the middle of the night, it turns from drinking Diet Coke back to a brewski. Because you stayed there. You continue to attempt yourself with it. You continue to entice yourself with it. You talked yourself into it. Now, isn't this the same way it works when it comes to porn on the internet? Guys, statistically, there's a lot of people in here who are struggling with porn on the internet. And this is the way it works. All of a sudden, you see an image that comes on your screen. At that moment, it is not too strong of a temptation to resist. You can click it off, you can close the window, you can walk away. Maybe you need to get up away from the computer. Maybe you need to put your phone down. Maybe you need to go for a walk. At that time, it's under the limitations of God. That's not more than you can handle. But what do we often do? Well, I click from that image. Well, maybe I can just look at one more image. Click, and then one more image. Click, then one more image. Click, 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 and you tempt and entice yourself, now it's far more than I can handle. But we bear that responsibility. God limited what we can face, but we can talk ourselves into sin. Number four, God promises to provide a way out of temptation. With the temptation, he'll provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So temptation is common to man. Temptation is promised for us to be limited. And there's always a way of escape. Now, this is where it gets sort of complicated. And this is why I spent more time on the first point. Temptation can be a test or a trial, remember, or it can be a temptation to sin. So the way of escape can look very different depending on if it's a trial that we're meant to endure or a temptation that we're meant to flee. It can be the same circumstance. Remember the bank issue I gave you, that example with the money? It can be the same thing, but it depends on how it's getting handled and which way it's going. So let's look at this. Often the way of escaping my trials is to simply endure them. Maybe you're in a difficult marriage. You say, I want to escape from the difficult marriage. I should flee from the difficult marriage. No, maybe you should endure the difficult marriage. Maybe the reason that God is allowing those difficulties in your relationship is he's trying to deal with selfishness on, in your life. Maybe he's trying to deal with immaturity in your life. 
And so that trial is an opportunity to prove your faith. It's an opportunity to mature your faith. And you should stay in that difficult position and mature through that trial. The message translation says this way. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any of your ways. The way to think about it is a little bit, it's a little bit like exercise. Uh, I go to the YMCA on Tuesday, 6 p.m. Anybody want to join me? Feel free. There's a bunch of other Crosswinds people there. You can join me. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Adelie Dixon from the church runs the exercise class. And I have to tell you, she's a bruiser. She's tough. I mean, she'll get the marker board and she'll write something out like this. Okay, this is the workout, guys. 20 kettlebell swings, 30 ball slams, 40 push-ups, 50 air squats. Do that whole thing three times. And I'm going like, what? And I start it, and like at first it's okay, and then it's really painful. But as soon as it gets painful, should I throw in the towel and hit the showers? Absolutely not. I should endure that. Because that workout will come to an end, and that workout is designed to improve me by enduring it. This is the same thing that God is doing with us when we face those trials and difficulties and tests in our life. It will come to an end, but we endure it. We bear up under it, knowing that God is intending those things to mature us and to improve us. Paul writes about this, Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. So sometimes the way of escape is knowing this trial is going to come to an end, endure it, and mature in it. But there's the other side that we often think about. Sometimes that trial, difficulty gets internalized, right? And all of a sudden, we're finding ourselves in that fish scenario where it's all of a sudden becoming a temptation to sin. What do we do in that case? It's not indoor. It's run. Often the way of escaping my temptation is to run from them. Like here's an example. Sexual temptations. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. When tempted sexually, we're not to bear up in those temptations, we are to run from them. Imagine David and Bathsheba. David sees naked Bathsheba in her hot tub on her roof. He's like, well, I better just endure this temptation. <laughs> no. He's supposed to run from that temptation. Because like a fish talking himself into biting a lure, that's exactly what he did. Another example, Samson and Delilah. I was just, I had to throw this in because I found some cool stuff on it this week. Samson, you know, so strong, nobody can stop him. He takes out a hundred men easily, more than a hundred men. He's the stud. Well, of course, he ends up in this relationship with Delilah. We know Samson and Delilah can't work. One's an Israelite, one's a Philistine. But he's like, what can this woman do to me? Here's the interesting part. In Hebrew, the word Delilah means delicate. It means thin. It was literally a case of opposites attracting. Samson looks like the Hulk without the green paint. Delilah is a thin, 
delicate woman. What could she ever possibly do to me? Until she tempted him, until she'd seduced him, until she constantly said, oh, tell me, Sammy, what's the source of your strength? Finally, the mighty man gave up his secret, and one haircut later, it was all over. Should have run. Now, here's the answer. If Samson, who was the strongest man in the world, was destroyed by sexual sin, and Solomon, who was the smartest man in the world, was destroyed by sexual sin. It doesn't matter how strong I am or how smart I am. If I allow myself to be enticed by sexual sin, I will be destroyed by it. That's an example of a trial that can very quickly become internalized and lead us into sin so we run from it, we do not endure it. So my message for you this morning if you have not memorized 1 Corinthians 10.13, please memorize it. Quote it to yourself like the thousands of times I've quoted it to myself. You know, there is no temptation overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with each temptation will provide a way out that you can bear up against it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that when we face trials and tests and difficulties in life, that you allow us to face those things, not because you want to seduce us down, but you want to prove, you want to improve our faith by trusting in you. And thank you that we have that opportunity for maturity when we face difficult times. But thank you also that we learned this morning that when those trials and difficulties start to become temptations and seductions to sin, that is something that we are to run from. Father, I thank you for what the word says about the importance of guarding our minds, guarding our thoughts, only allowing ourselves to think about things that are wholesome, good, and true taking every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Because we know when we go through those difficult times that we will. It is when our thoughts are captive to Jesus, we will not have that proclivity to temptation and to sin. Now, Father, I ask that every single one here would walk away and take the assignment of memorizing 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and quoting it and re-quoting it to themselves as they face seductions and difficulties with sin. Just like you did, Jesus, when you quoted the word of God back to the devil, when you faced temptations in the wilderness. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.